Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick, and cousin Jeff. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone'sACriticPodcast.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, our handle is CriticsPod. You can listen to us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Subscribe to the show, rate and review the show. We'll read your five-star review on the air. Uh, we have patreon.com slash critics pod. The best would help support the podcast. Line with our T public link over at I hate critics.net or search critics pod at T public. Uh, Sean, where can people read your reviews? Uh, you can find my review archive, uh, the reviews from like 2000 to 2019 at uh, Sean at the And of course, uh, geeks.media and horror.media for my modern stuff. And Jeff, where can people find your art? Uh, all my links and some of my artwork is at jefflasseter.com. Um, and yes, to the person who, if they may, if they are listening, reached out, I am I'm going to be updating the website pretty soon. Awesome. But go to my links. That's all that matters. And we will have those links in our show notes as well. All right. Let's, you guys did all the Oscar talk last week, so let's jump straight into our new movies. Um, we'll start with Women Talking. Women Talking from director uh, Sarah Polly. Uh, stars uh, Jesse Buckley alongside uh, um, a seri- just a tremendous cast of, of women who are in a community where it, it's kind of it's vaguely referred to, but not really stated that it's a um, what do you call it, Jeff? Uh, what kind Mennonite? of Mennonite community? Uh, and essentially, these women have been sexually assaulted on a repeated basis for a number of years, and they've been told that this is uh, an act of demons. It has been they've been told that they're delusional, but finally, they've actually captured. Uh, recently, two young men who committed a sexual assault on one of them, and they've decided to hold a meeting. Uh, they've elected several women to have a conversation about whether or not they should leave the community, whether or not they should stay in the community, or whether or not they should stay and fight the men in this community. Uh, and that is the conversation that unfolds over the period of this story. And it's a, a powerful series of conversations uh, that rise and fall with various different ideas about how they should deal with this and how each of these women has been affected by this and by the choice they're about to make. And it's an incredibly powerful story. And then you kind of, then you come to realize this movie is set not in the 1800s, but in 2010 uh, and based on a true story. And that that's sort of a, it's not a, it's not a shocker. It's not like a twist. It's, it's just something that you come to realize and and it's a a realization that adds just an underscore to how timely and true this film is because you know it really is a movie about about women you know trying to assert themselves and constantly having been lied to and mistreated by by men and having their rights taken from them by men and finally standing up and saying no more and that could not possibly be more relevant than it is right now you know, I had no idea it was supposed to be a secret that these were modern times. Um, simply based on at the very beginning, they have the buggies that are going into town, taking the men to town that have the little slow moving vehicle signal on it. I had no idea that this was supposed to be a revelation. 
I don't know if it was necessarily. I mean, I, it was a revelation to me because, again, when I, I they, that that's not in the trailers or in the prep. When you go into it, you're not prepped to know that unless you've read about the movie. Okay. I, I this was incredible. Um, I, I was kind of like, okay, this looks kind of boring. I'll be honest with you, but then I found out it was Sarah Polly, who is just so great. Uh, I listened to her talk about it on uh, Mark Maron's podcast and really couldn't wait to see it. Um, I know you talked about it before, Sean. Uh, I was just so excited to go see it. Um, Not very many people in my screening, uh, but everybody was talking about it when they left. You know, what would you do? What would you do? Uh, The fact that the, the, cast of this movie is just absolutely incredible uh mm-hmm. judith ivy who you know i mean i knew her from designing women back in the 90s but <laughs> of course um but the kindness and the patience that she shows for all the other women was just perfection she just was the one she was the rock of the entire movie to me mm-hmm. um i did not for a for a change, hate Rooney Mara. Um, I don't know why. I just have. I just have a. I have a block when it comes to her. I think because she's so like, she always comes off as so. Um, like if Zoe Deschanel was super buttoned up, that would be Rooney Mara to me. Um, but she was just to me a revelation in this movie, uh, and Claire Foy kind of. She was the heat of the movie mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, absolutely. She's a, she delivers a fiery performance. Whereas you've got Jesse Buckley on the other side, kind of, uh, kind of arguing the other way a little bit. And, and uh, Claire Foy is like, I'm going to kill everyone. If we stay here, <laughs> <laughs> that dynamic is pretty great with uh, kind of stuck in the middle of that. And then of course, these two older women who are, who are much more experienced and, and have been through this so much for so much longer, uh, have so much more weight to what they what they say and what they've been through because they've been gaslighted for so much longer than these women have and uh, have lacked the agency that these women are developing and it's it's very it's jarring for them but at the same time you know they 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 they're building their resolve as they go and it's it's beautiful to watch. I kind of felt that uh, the two older characters. Uh, would not have ever thought of doing this unless if it hadn't been for the younger characters, mm-hmm. you know, like Rooney Mara being uh, impregnated by one of our attackers and, you know, Jesse Buckley being abused constantly. And, you know, I, I think that, and I think it was implied that Francis McDormand's character uh, who has a scar on her face was scarred because of this, mm-hmm. because of one of these attacks. I thought I, that, Kind of got that that was implied, yeah, and that maybe um, her 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 granddaughter who was uh, blind that I thought it was implied to me anyway that perhaps she was the product of incest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are there again. She's just such a gr- it's such a well written movie and such a well directed film that they don't underline those points. None of the points are just constantly hammered upon it's it's 
very present in the moment and these are people who know each other and they don't need to explain their circumstances to each other and they can just get on to the point of what they're here to do and that's the sign of a of a filmmaker who understands you know understands how life and a story works and you know because so many inexperienced filmmakers these days are constantly stopping to explain like people people who've known each other for 20 years have to introduce themselves again like oh my girlfriend is here like this is not you know this is not one of those dumb movies this is a movie where everybody is aware of who they are and and they're not uh ha- there's no pretense to it it's just right into this story and it and that adds to the truth and power of it you're dropped into the middle of this world and it's up to you to make the leap to catch up yeah to where they're coming from and the world they're in this sounds fantastic i i mean li- been living under a bubble for the last couple weeks i didn't really know what this was or that it was even coming out uh did i pick the wrong movie is it the best one of the week or is it just a week of good movies it's probably the best one of the week i i i will get to the other movie that came out this week but this one you know is is an academy award nominee it is a best picture nominee and it is a deserving best picture nominee whereas the other new movie of the week is not a movie that was ever going to be considered for an oscar no matter how good it is <laughs> because it has Mia Goth in it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm never going to get over that. <laughs> yeah. You're not surprised, though, are you? <laughs> not surprised. Just. I mean, they're wrong, but I mean, we stopped really paying attention to the Oscars several years ago. Yeah. <clears throat> True. All right. But before we get to that movie, let's go to the Netflix and streaming movies uh, and start with you people. You People stars uh, Jonah Hill, directed by Kenya Barris, co-starring Eddie Murphy and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> this movie is about a, a podcaster played by Jonah Hill who falls in love with an with a young black woman. Uh, Lena, Lana London, I think her name is. Uh, she, she is a... Uh, costume designer. They have great chemistry. They fall in love. But, of course, uh, she's Muslim. He's Jewish. Their parents are very, you know, strange, like Julia Louis-Dreyfus and David Duchovny or Jonah Hill's parents. And they're very, like, fake woke. Like, they want desperately to be seen as woke. But they, of course, just continuously embarrass themselves with accidental, incidental racist comments and actions. And then Eddie Murphy and Neil Long on the other side, uh, they are just uh, – Eddie Murphy is specifically is very militant and and uh is eager to catch Jonah Hill being racist and and expose him for being a bad person. And basically the movie just kind of establishes the romance and then just starts repeating the same joke, same two jokes over and over and over again. Jonah Hill is a white guy who's terrible at everything. And Julia Louis-Dreyfus is just accidentally racist all the time. Uh, Eddie Murphy looks like he's being held hostage in this movie, like he didn't just did not want to be here and is going to do just the minimum effort that he has to do to get this done. And then he's gone because he is not enjoying himself in any way. He's never funny in the movie. He never looks like he's having a good time. And this is supposed to be a comedy. Uh, then Julia Louis-Dreyfus is just falling all over herself trying to overplay this character and overplay just how awkward and uh, strange that she is. And, of course, it's all building up to an unearned uh, happy ending that nobody in this movie deserves. 
This movie, like I said, it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I can't believe that that this group of people made this movie. Well, Sean is basically saying what uh, Black Twitter is saying this week. Um, <laughs> wow, this, yeah. Did you see it, Bob? Yeah, I mean, with Jonah Hill not doing a lot of movies anymore, it's really surprising he did this. Uh, Eddie Murphy, I didn't believe... He just, you could tell he didn't believe what his character was doing. He didn't want to be there. Julie Louis Dreyfus was my mom, like in real life. So I, <laughs> I'm not, you know, I, I'll, I'll buy into her all day long. <laughs> Don't necessarily like watching it. And it made it even more awkward for me. But uh, yeah, you're 100% right. This is, I was really expecting this to be kind of decent just by the fact that Jonah Hill's in it. Mm-hmm. since he's being so selective all of a sudden and i don't know what it just this is terrible it didn't start out that bad um like it, the, the whole podcast premise at the beginning with him and uh sam J. I thought they had a very funny interaction in those two characters i thought okay that's kind of interesting and let's, let's see where this goes and then once eddie murphy's introduced again they just start hammering those same two jokes scene after scene after scene can I um can we dispense with the the trope that is the Ju- Julia Louis Dreyfus character where every time a white person meets a black person they have to be they have to you know completely gush about how not racist they are mm. It would be actually funnier if they were a little racist and they didn't realize it That's probably funnier you know what it is is that it it's that Jordan Peele ended this joke when he did Get Out. He yeah, ended yeah, the joke. Exactly. Bradley Whitford saying he would have voted for Obama a third time is the end of this joke. That's the funniest right. this is going to get. That's the best satire of this character we're going to find. And if, if quite honestly, if she had said, hey, you know what? I love black people, but I don't know very many. So if I say something wrong, tell me. If she'd said that up front, this could have been a whole different, better movie. Well, that's, um, that's the point, is that nobody in this movie talks like a human being. Like, yeah. you're going to say, maybe you say stupid shit. Maybe you say something that you you know is offensive and you didn't intend it to. But nobody in this movie speaks like an actual human being. Yep. Except Jonah Hill at the end when he's going off on Eddie Murphy. <laughs> I guess, yeah. that that and, That's not a terrible and, scene, yeah. You know, and it's like when when the kids are confronting the parents and they're telling them, you know, how they feel. That was the only time I thought that this was really honest. You know, and the and the podcast part at the beginning was honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people like Jonah Hill in this movie. You know that they they really they love hip hop culture and all that, but they have they eventually have to come to you know realize that they're not black. Um, and that they will never understand what it's like to be black. And that's, that is a premise that I could get behind, but it takes so damn long to get to that point in this movie. And in, until you get there, it's just hackneyed, retreaded, boring jokes about, oh my God, you know, we're like two different cultures and we're getting together and oops, our parents are terrible. It's just played out. Oh. 
Yeah, I don't disagree with anything. Although, like I said, Julie Louis Dreyfus is my mom, so I do know people who talk like that. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, I, I know. Oh, we have we have a lady at my day job that is she's a lot like that, but she doesn't realize it at all. Right. But yeah, just I don't know if it got away from him or what, but not very good at all. Uh, what about Shotgun Wedding, Jeff? I didn't get a chance to see that one. Nor did I. I, I had a, a mixed feelings about this. First of all, Jennifer Coolidge, I think we've established that she can basically do no wrong in my eyes. Um, and her with a semi-automatic machine gun. Uh, yeah, that was that was one of the high points. It actually wasn't bad. Um, I was taken out of it by the fact that Jennifer Coolidge, who is 11 years older than Josh Duhamel, was playing his mom. <laughs> uh, I mean, we what's, all know. So what's that, the what's the premise? The premise is is that uh, Jennifer Lopez and Josh Duhamel are getting married, and they have decided to do a wedding, a destination wedding. And Jennifer Lopez's father is very wealthy and invites her ex-boyfriend, played by Lenny Kravitz. Uh, so there's a lot of tension there and, oh, my God, you know what's going on. And then all of a sudden, all these pirates come and kidnap the everybody at the uh, at the wedding, except for, of course, J-Lo and Josh Duhamel, because they are off fighting and they've decided not to get married because it was a mistake and she's commitment phobic. <laughs> get the joke, get the end joke. Um, <laughs> and so they are off fighting and deciding to end things when they're invaded by pirates who take everybody hostage, put them in a pool for some reason. I don't understand if that's just to get rid of their phones or what I, I missed a few minutes, but um, then it's up to JLo and Josh to zip line back and take out the terrorists with grenades and guns and, do they have like special skills or something? Or <laughs> no. <are> they... <laughs> no. And I think that's what's supposed to make it funny. Okay. Um, and it's not bad. I mean, Lenny Kravitz is, you know, he, play, everybody's like, I think he's the bad guy. Well, and then he turns out, of course he's the bad guy. You know, I mean, that's just, he's super rich and he's got a helicopter and, you know, it's, he, he's kind of wasted. Like, I don't know why it was Lenny Kravitz. He's kind of just playing Lenny Kravitz. Um, I would love it if JLo would do a divorce movie instead of a wedding movie. Um <laughs> That being said, the last 10 minutes of this movie were really good. The chase and the, you know, how do we get, how do we defeat the bad guys was actually pretty good. And I, I it was funny. I laughed a few times um, towards the end. I, I really think that it was, it was draggy in the middle. And I think that's just basically because they, they didn't have enough action that they could pad it out with. It was more or less, you know, like, I think that dad's new girlfriend is probably fucking your ex-boyfriend. And, well, you know, let's let's flirt with the whole wedding party starting with, you know, it was just kind of the, but the last 10 minutes, the action part where, you know, they're racing away in a speedboat and they're being followed by a helicopter and 
you know, everybody's shooting at everybody. That was actually really fun. And um, you guys don't have to, you don't, I know you're not going to watch it. There's no reason to, if you're not watching it for the show. <laughs> um, the way they kill Lenny Kravitz's character is, is so cool. Um, he basically is zip lining off of the back of a boat with Josh Duhamel with one of Jennifer Lopez's hair extensions. He gets caught and then they launch a, the um, parachute at him. He gets tangled up in it and they, like they cut the rope and he goes flying back and hits the helicopter and just explodes everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, then the helicopter crashes where, yeah. you know, his accomplice. So if you want, if, if you, if you like, want to see something fun, watch the last 10 minutes of it, but there's no need to watch the rest of it. It's just, it's just kind of dumb, but kind of entertaining. I mean, Jen- Jennifer Coolidge in a machine gun and then Lenny Kravitz in a helicopter being ripped to pieces is entertaining by Jennifer- itself. Jennifer Coolidge with a with the shotgun, oh, shotgun was my Twitter uh, <laughs> um, banner photo for about a month before Christmas. Nice. <laughs> the trailer is much better than the overall movie, but the last 10 minutes of the movie kind of makes up for it. I like Jennifer Lopez. I think uh, I like Jennifer Lopez. Oh, yeah. As an actress, I think Marry Me was actually a really terrific romantic comedy. And I did want to see this, but I uh, just didn't have the time. Oh, sorry for spoiling it for you. No, no, no worries. I mean, it's... <laughs> I wasn't going to go I, back for it now that it's out. So it's, still, <laughs> it's not relevant now. It is worth watching the last 10, 15 minutes of it. Watch the first five, and then you can skip ahead. <laughs> Establish the premise, then watch the ending, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I should start doing that for the show more often. <laughs> that's, how, that's how Bob's going to watch movies now. <laughs> you people is great. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that speech that Jonah Hill gives at the end, at the beginning, was just like, wow. It probably would be a much better movie. It would be. <laughs> All right. You know, honest, if, that, if you people had been kind of a drama where they confront this kind of stuff with their parents... I think that would have been a much better movie. Right. Yeah. 100%. Infinity Pool. Infinity Pool is the second film in the career of Brandon Cronenberg, the son of David fourth. Cronenberg. Fourth. Uh, it was fourth. Oh, well, I've yeah. put, put, he's, only, he's only got two big movies that people have heard of, Possessor and this one. Well, there's Antiviral. Have you seen that? No, but has anybody heard of that? Yeah, lots of people in the horror community, Sean, you snob. <laughs> <laughs> two mainstream theatrical films that Brandon Cronenberg has made. Uh, it <laughs> tells the story of an author named James Foster and his wife uh, who uh, travel to a resort in some kind of country that uh, is not necessarily third world, but not necessarily first world either. Uh, they're not supposed to leave the resort. It's surrounded by razor wire. Like, you just don't go anywhere. But uh, they meet this couple who uh, played by Mia Goth and her husband, and they uh, befriend them and invite them to go on this trip to a beach nearby. That means they're going to go outside the walls of this resort. Uh, once they're out there, uh, they get drunk. Mia Goth starts hitting on on Alexander Skarsgård's character. Uh, and uh, then everybody, once everybody's drunk, they decide to drive home, and they end up killing a guy, uh, killing a local. And uh, from there, the plot really kicks in. 
Uh, this is really a, a tremendous film. This is far better than Possessor, which I thought was a good, uh, visually good and terrifying kind of movie. Uh, that didn't quite land its premise here. I think what he's going for is uh, something very akin to the kind of the themes that his father did, and, but but something that still resonates as his own. He's, I think, what he's going for here is is a uh, an examination of privilege taken to such a degree that uh, privilege and excess taken to such a degree that it that it uh, these people essentially. Mia Goth and the group of people that she's with and that she brings Alexander Skarsgård into are, are so excessive and so beyond like exploiting their privilege of who they are and where they are that they need to take it even further and further just to find that high. It's like being addicted to drugs and you develop a tolerance. They've developed a tolerance to just about every possible excess of drugs, sex, death, all of it. To such an astonishing degree that they continue to have to ramp it up. And Alexander Skarsgård is new to this. And in the end, I came away thinking, like, it, I was reminded strangely of Martyrs and how in that film, like, excessive pain and suffering is the path to God. And here, it's like excess in privilege is the path to proving that God doesn't exist. <laughs> There's just no justice in the world. Yeah, once they're sick of what they're doing, they just go home. <laughs> I mean, that's literally what happens. I feel like they. So, hear me out. White mm-hmm. Lotus, hell, or purgatory. White Lotus in purgatory. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that they are so jaded as to they just commit crimes to be killed and brought back and watched, you know, their clones be murdered. That tells you how boring their regular lives must be, you know, that they that they just they get their kicks by watching themselves or their clones get killed. And is it or is it their clones or are they the clones? You know, I think the fact that the movie never answers that question, it kind of says, well, is he the is he his clone or is he? And they bring that up in the movie, and that's, you know, it, I mean, it's pretty obvious that that's what they're going for at points, but are these, are they so depraved because they're not technically humans anymore? Have they been replaced and then replaced and then replaced? So that was what I took out of it. And I do not like Alexander Skarsgård in much. Um, and I thought that he was very, I, I heard that Robert Pattinson was offered this role and I would have absolutely much rather he done, he had done it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Alexander Skarsgård is a bad actor. I just think that he's so conventionally attractive that you can't relate to him. Yeah. In a lot of pulls you out of his character sometimes in movies yeah. where it would be better, but you're right. He's like, he's perfectly cut. Everything about him is so Ken doll that it's, it can pull you out on the flip side. I mean, this, I already knew Mia Goth was good, but he really does is like the best thing in this movie <laughs> far and away. Oh yeah. He can go from attractive to weird looking to, he can do every thing you needed to do. And she does it all in this movie. Uh, uh, it was just really fascinating. 
it's it's chilling. She she is chilling. Just the the her capabilities are endless, and you know she's she's seductive. She's terrifying. She's she's funny. She's just everything. She's charismatic. I uh, I can't get enough of her, and she's just she's absolutely brilliant. Uh, on the Alexander Skarsgård point, I think I think his blandness is kind of the point. I think he him being bland and him being you know kind of an, a perfect example of masculinity uh, as as people would stereotypically want it to be is what is being deconstructed here is what is being taken apart in in him and and used as a tool in this film. And I think that's the kind of the purpose of him is to be somebody who's being you know. Uh, an idyllic, you know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, muscular guy being broken down and destroyed, and uh, I think that's kind of part of what he's going for here. Oh, for sure. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's a failed writer, but you know, he's, he's, but he puts on this front that he's not, you know, that he's this perfect person, but he's far from it. And no, I agree a hundred percent with that. Uh, <clears throat> but I still get why you could want somebody else in that role. But I, I don't I think know. that go ahead. I I think with a with a not necessarily a an actor of color, but somebody who's a little less conventional than him, you could see him as more of their plaything. Whereas I never I never really get the fact that he's <clears throat> not somebody who kind of takes control. I don't get that in his performance. And maybe that's just me, you know, looking at him and being like, yeah, this dude never has to worry about any of this shit. I, and I do want, I would have liked it if he had just been a normal guy instead of a writer. You know what I mean? I think that he could have married rich, but I think this writers in movies and stories they don't have any quote unquote responsibilities and they always have writer's block. And it's, that's kind of a trope that I'm wish we could get away with. You know, I wish he'd just been like, you know what? I don't have to work because my wife's rich, but you know, I like to volunteer and help people and, you know, make him very easy to, you know, quick to help. Mm-hmm. See, I think I, I felt that the, the writer thing, or at least being uh, vaguely, well known was it was an essential part of it because it, his ego is what's going to draw him into what gets him caught here is that you know Mia Goth pre- pretends as if she's recognized him from having read his book and uh, that flatters him and brings him out to uh, to to essentially buy into the bait of her and her husband and uh, I think that that part of him is necessary whether he's a writer or, or maybe an actor or something that they could do where he's recognizable. I think that necessity of playing to his ego is part of the story. You know, for somebody who looks like he does, I think a failed soap opera actor or an actor who was on a soap or one of those, you know, like Melrose place or something where he doesn't have to work anymore. So he doesn't, he just Mm kind of got caught into the acting. I think that would be an interesting thing because it gives you, you know, he's got that actor in him so he can act you know, if his uh, if his clone has all of his memories, he knows how to act. So then, yeah, I, I just spitballing an idea there that mm-hmm. you gave yeah. me. So yeah, I mean, I thought it worked, and I thought obviously the privilege is 
key. This movie, the whole point of the movie doesn't exist. He doesn't come from privilege or at least married into it. Uh, and at the same, while it's shocking and a neat movie, and I, and I think the ending's fantastic. I just love how I just go home. Uh, to me, that's almost more shocking than anything you see throughout the rest of the movie because they just <laughs> go into their everyday life and it's, you know, it's like Bruce Willis realizing he's dead the whole time. <laughs> Uh, what wait what movie is that (laughs) yeah i I love that final scene it's 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 fantastic it's it's really incredibly well gutted and again it just shows how great mia goth is the way she can just turn it on and off (laughs) like that is just astonishing she and she's so necessary to that to making that moment work uh but really she's essential to just about anything she's just so amazing i can't I can't stop praising her because she's just so very, very good at this. Uh, the The visuals and the style are spectacular. He's got a terrific command of of his uh, visual style, of his uh, production design, cinematography. Uh, he's a great, you know, he's terrific at the, at the way he establishes a scene and ends a scene. Uh, Brandon Cronenberg is definitely a, a very, he's gotten so much better from this, from Possessor to this, he's gotten even better. What? Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, the, the imagery of the masks is something that he loves Ooh. to do. Mm-hmm. And these masks were fucking incredible. Disturbing. So disturbing. Yeah. And, it made me not want to look at sc- the screen when boobs were on the screen. <laughs> like there was, <laughs> I was literally covering my eyes at one point because my god, I want to see what comes out of that. Uh, what are your thoughts on you know all the stories this week? Which I know I've been living under a rock, but I did see all this about you know the graphic scenes that the cut out of the movie for the theatrical release, but we're going to put it back in when it goes to streaming. Uh, that seems like would keep people from going to the theater. <laughs> I mean, did you hear about the, I think they cut to, I don't know if they cut the scene, but they cut parts of the scenes out that were very graphic. Did you know hmm. anything about those? I wasn't I, aware of that. Um, well, I, I read something that said that, you know, the, um, the NC 17 version had him nursing her, but I was like, well, I saw that. So did I see the NC-17? Apparently I didn't. So I looked into it a little bit. And I guess it went on a little longer. And there are shots in the um, in the scene where he's kind of living in the orgy part of it. There are apparently like a lot more penises. Which, you know, you can't show because you might make right joe six-pack uncomfortable <laughs> well, and i think the the scene where mia goth uh finds him peeing i think they actually show him ex- ejaculating at that point too and that was one of the things i read they cut which i i, I kind of want because i mean I, it's it's really effective as it is i don't think you need the need even the shocking stuff because i mean this version of it is, is has enough shocks and has enough, you know, visual presence to take you, you know, take you to, to those places. I think it's actually better without it. I, I really don't need any more of the X-rated stuff than what's in the movie, because I think what's there is very effective. Yeah. It would depend on if it made me more uncomfortable. It'd be one thing if it was, I mean, not 
in the Joe six pack way. That's stupid. But <laughs> then, uh, <clears throat> oh my god, I saw a dick. <laughs> what am I gonna do? <laughs> uh, but if you know some of that, some of those images were very uncomfortable to see, and if you know, and if they do, if they would have stayed on the nursing scene longer, uh, that would have been effective, I guess. I don't need to see him ejaculating. That's just porn <laughs> at that point. Uh, but. I just, I, I don't, you know, not knowing that before I see the movie, it was, it seemed kind of a weird thing to say that, that there was going to be an unedited version coming out later. Mm. But overall, yeah, I, it was good. I guess it's just a couple seconds. It, right. I guess it has the same runtime as the rated version, but it's just literally like not even full seconds of shots. Right. Of, maybe penetration or something so mm-hmm. kind of sounds like the uh, the director's cut of eyes wide shut in that way where basically they, they where they had to digitally add people to cover up other naked people like <laughs> that just remove those and you've just got a bunch of naked people yeah but i i thought it was i thought it was good i don't know how long it will stick with me uh mm-hmm. it wasn't confusing you know you was able to follow the whole way through and this what they were going for with you know the people of privilege was pretty obvious there wasn't a whole lot to figure out it was just more shocking and then it ended and i kind of moved on uh first thing my wife said when that like the credits started rolling is you make me go to the stupidest movies Well, she could. You could have gone to my screening. It was literally just me. I was the only person. Oh wow! It was a private screening on Saturday morning. <laughs> there was one other person in the theater with us. Everybody else is waiting for the penis movie version. It, it didn't. <laughs> it didn't do well this weekend. It was a nationwide release, and I'm not sure if it even made the top ten in terms of box office. Which, of course, you know, people are going to look at that and go, "Well, see, Mia Goth is not a marketable actress." You see. They just got to find her. <laughs> she might not be marketable yet, but she is fantastic. <clears throat> uh, she's she's incredible. She's the best actress working today. She's the. Uh, she's I want to see uh, her and Florence Pugh in a movie together, and then I might just die. <laughs> <laughs> and if Ari Aster directed it. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that's too that's that's too beautiful for this world (laughs) (laughs) we do not deserve that uh anything else on infinity pool before we move on to our classic i just like i said i think uh, i loved it i think uh i don't necessarily call it the best movie i've seen so far this year i think i've seen at least one better movie this year but i i thought it was really well made uh i think brandon cronenberg is definitely on the right track to uh, establish himself outside of uh, his father's name, and uh, I think yeah, Mia Goth is just incredible. But uh, I really enjoyed just just the the examination of excess and privilege. Uh, I thought it was very well, you know, deconstructed and examined, and like you know, it, the idea of just going so far over the top that you can't find uh, that you continue to have to find new forms of depravity and that it, that even still seem almost out of reach. I, I thought that was a great idea. I couldn't agree more. 
All right, let's move on to Rabid. Rabid from 1977 uh, is uh, from from David Cronenberg, one of his earliest features, and uh, tells the story of a woman who is in a motorcycle accident with her boyfriend. They end up getting taken to a plastic surgery clinic to heal, uh, and this plastic surgeon ends up using a, an experimental surgery to try and uh, save the woman. Uh, is it Marilyn Chambers who's playing that character? Yeah. That? Yes. Yeah. Uh, he ends up somehow creating a monster that lives under her arm that turns people into zombies, which is just a phenomenal premise for a movie. I mean, just if you could think of something more insane, please let me know. I mean, that's a completely insane idea, but it works. Uh, people, you know, try and touch her and her arm like bites them and they become zombies. And she just, she kills a lot of people that way. The zombie plague spreads throughout uh, Toronto, and yeah, it gets it gets crazy. Uh, I re- I really, again, it's David Cronenberg, so the body horror is pretty spectacular and and very weird, and yet the it's also kind of a traditional zombie movie in some ways, but it's a Cronenberg zombie movie. So, <laughs> what do you think, Jeff? Uh, this is my least favorite of David Cronenberg's movies. Um, he like I love the brood. I thought that you know he had mm-hmm. he had gotten some really good performances out of some good actors. Um, for me, this was kind of the you know what if we put Marilyn Chambers in it, then maybe we'll get a good audience. But she's not an actress, or she was not an actress. Yeah, she's a porn and, star, right? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean. And good for her to be able to kind of quote unquote make the jump, mm-hmm. but she's just I, she was not convincing in it, and like the, some of the dubbing that they did over her voice was the budget really shows in this one. Um, mm-hmm. The low budget really shows in this one, uh, and I, I you know I love some of his movies, but this is just not one of them for me. I just I had to watch. I literally had to watch it twice because. At one point, I was like, "Oh shit, it's over." Oh, okay. What did I miss the last twenty minutes of? It. So I, <laughs> you know, I had to rewatch that part twice, and I still, mm-hmm. I kept getting bored. Um, and it, it, I find what I found since I started on the show is that I get bored when I'm taken out of the movie, and that's when I start to work on a drawing or you know, kind of dick around my apartment or whatever. And I just thought that the, everybody looked like a good character. You know what I mean? Like they, they were real ordinary people and I tend to like that, but it just, the performances were kind of terrible. Bob, what'd you think? I kind of agree with Jeff, maybe not quite as far, but you know, for the last couple of years, I'm, I've been very tired watching movies and sometimes it takes a movie that's when I, that kind of pulls me out of it and kind of gets me committed to it. And this I had a hard time with, and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that it was kind of a traditional zombie movie. Uh, Cronenberg one nonetheless, but still fairly traditional. And I, I found myself bored a lot and, 
uh, zoning out and starting to look at other things and grab my phone and you know so I was a little bummed about that I, it definitely is my least favorite of some of the early Cronenberg stuff uh, maybe some of the late 90s stuff early 2000s this might be better than I couldn't really tell you but I, I didn't love it like I was hoping to like I have a lot of his other movies it's a step back from Shivers. Shivers, I think, is like one of the all-time underrated horror classic. That movie is incredible. Uh, this movie, I think, I think Cronenberg wanted to make an armpit monster, and <laughs> that's where his interest <laughs> lies. And then he's like, "Oh, I got to make the rest of the movie now." <laughs> that sound. I mean, that makes sense because. The other movies aren't traditional, even a little bit. There's just something weird going on at all, and you, you're just kind of intrigued, and you just start. It starts to pull me in, but I think the traditional zombie part of it really bored me. Maybe it was the actress too, but uh, I just really felt like I've seen stuff like this before. It, only it was Cronenberg. Yeah, I just I I think with his um, with some of his other movies that it's if he can hire shivers excluded and the brood excluded because those were still low budget movies the brood i think is his most effective of the earlier ones and a lot of that is based on the performances you know samantha egger she's like she's like a low budget joan collins a lower budget joan collins she you know she eats up this she eats it up and and art hindle he always kind of plays that good guy except in body snatchers, but he, he believed them because of their performances. Whereas Marilyn Chambers, you know, and I quite honestly, the reason that I lost the last 20 minutes of the movie the first time is because I'm like, has she, did she ever act in like anything else mainstream? And I was, I went down the Marilyn Chambers rabbit hole on IMDB and Wikipedia. And then I was like, Oh shit, it's over. Yeah. Did she? <laughs> uh, nothing like, I think I think one of her, like uh, the Happy Hooker series, actually opened in theaters, which is weird because those are basically just straight up pornography. But they actually went out to like a wide release. Other than that, I don't think I don't think so. Huh? You learn something new every day. <laughs> that there's a movie called ha- The Happy Hooker, or that it went to theaters. <laughs> Both. I learned two things. It's it's the happy hooker goes to Washington. <laughs> yes. So back when I was a kid and uh, a family member who shall remain nameless uh, used to have a lot of penthouse magazines, Xavier a Hollander wrote a column called the happy hooker. And she was the happy hooker. Um, and then they made movies out of the column in her books. And there's Marilyn Chambers. <laughs> was it my dad? <laughs> no, it was not your dad. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to 1993. <laughs> and uh, uh, we, Sean's doing another podcast on our stream about 1993. You did Children of the Corn 2 this week? Yeah, Children of the Corn 2, The Final Sacrifice, which... Uh, Thank you, Jeff. Uh, we made you helped us make this decision. We were de- we had two different movies to choose from. This and a movie called Body Heat, 
Uh, no, not Body Heat. Uh, what was it called? The I can't remember what it was called. Ron, Ron Silver was in it. It doesn't matter. Matinee, Sniper, Blindside. All of them came out this week. Blindside, that's the Blindside. one. Blindside. It was down that's to those two. And we're, we, we finally we, we went with Children of the Corn because of Jeff's recommendation. And I'm so glad that we did because this is one of the greatest So Bad It's Good movies I've seen in a very long time. I can't believe this movie is not talked about more as one of the great So Bad It's Good movies because there are so many scenes in this scene, this movie that just are complete and utter nonsense. I'll, the opening of this film, Bob, I'm pretty sure the person who wrote the first 10 minutes had never heard of the children of the corn before (laughs) so they just assumed that corn was the slasher killer so they have corn stalks come to life and kill two people (laughs) like a corn stalk slashes a guy's throat and another one flies flings itself through the windshield to stab a guy it's great it's so hilarious i could not believe it then the rest of the movie kind of goes back to the actual children it's so inept, though. Like, these kids are getting on a bus. You think they're in Gatlin, but then they immediately get off the bus, and they're in the same town, but it's the new town that they're supposed to be living in now, which, of course, the demon, the the he who walks behind the rose, has followed them to the new town and is possessed one of the kids, and he's going to be the big bad kid. But, of course, is there a demon, or is it bad corn? Because we've discovered that there is a corn virus that is in the air and making people delusional but that's not true because that has nothing to do with the rest of the movie then there's a native american character who's introduced and just just exists as casual racism throughout the rest of the movie (laughs) to the point where i got i got to tell you about this he and the main character are nearly killed by a combine after they're taken hostage by the sheriff who's trying to cover up the bad corn and he the sheriff frames corn for their murder (laughs) oh my god (laughs) but then of course the native american character exists to solely to sacrifice himself to save white people because that's what you do with casually racist movies in the early 90s you have a minority character who sacrifices himself to save white people uh so the native american guy dies by arrow of course And then this man who has been established as a college professor, he is a college professor who has been helping out this journalist main character. He dies. The Native American character dies. So the journalist and the remaining white people decide to give him a Viking funeral. They pile him on top of corn and light him on fire. And I just kept thinking, he's a college professor. He probably has a family, you fuckers. Like, he's probably got family and friends. You're burning his fucking corpse. What the hell? Oh. It's so crazy. I love this movie so much. Wheelchair Grandma. That wheelchair grandma isn't one of the greatest memes of all time. Truly, it blows my mind. There's a scene where Micah, the main bad kid, he's got a rc car and he uses his demon magic to use the remote control in his rc car to take over a wheelchair of an old woman and rolls her out in the street she gets hit by a truck and goes flying through a plate glass window it's hilarious the dummy in that wheelchair is so bad it's beautiful man i love this movie i know know i've seen this yeah because christy clark is in it 
Yeah. Hear me out. She was on Days of Our Lives, and she oh, was I've seen sister. this, too. Because I <laughs> remember <laughs> watching Days of Our Lives and then being up late at night with, like, holy shit, that's the girl from Days of Our Lives. Yeah. It's Carrie Brady. And she was also the sister in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Mm-hmm. So I know I saw this, and I saw this <clears throat> because she was in it, I remember. And I liked her, but and I'm looking at it on IMDb, and I can see her, but I'm like, I don't remember anything. You're anything saying. else? <laughs> <laughs> She's barely in the movie. Right. Uh, she she is in one of these these actually the single sweatiest sex scene I've ever seen in a movie. It's so gross. These two people look like they've crawled out of a river and are now in a bed at a bed and breakfast having sex. It is so disgusting just how sweaty they are. And considering that we've seen body of evidence this year, that there could be a sweatier (laughs) sex scene is shocking, but it's there. Does she pour candle wax on him? (laughs) No, I think it wouldn't matter. They're so wet. They just put out all the candles. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I, I wrote 1,600 words about this movie. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> On top of a one-hour podcast about it because I love it so much. What's funny, though, is it's called The Final Sacrifice, and there are <laughs> 10 more of them. <laughs> yeah. If this was made by a guy who just, the producer, he basically just bought a bunch of properties that were available and started making sequels. So this movie was made back to back with Leprechaun and uh, Hellraiser three, just all in yes. a row, <laughs> at the same location. I and Avenging Angel, don't forget and that. Avenging Angel. <laughs> oh my god, oh my it's god. so so hilarious. It's, I... right there. it's right there in that bad movie sweet spot where it's just. You, you can sense that these people didn't know what they were doing. The director is completely inept. He was the son of the head of Dimension Pictures, who, produ- who were the, <laughs> the distributors of this. So that's how he got the job. And it's so poignant. He's, he's just so poignantly bad where you almost feel bad for laughing at him, but you can't help but laugh at just how bad <laughs> he is at directing a movie. Yeah, I just can't. I just can't. I'm, I... I I, my new thing is I love watching horror movies and I will watch the same fucking shit over and over again. But if I remember not liking a movie, I'm not going to go back to see if I still liked it. Mm-hmm. There's not, not enough time. <laughs> All right. Next week we got 80 for Brady. Knock at the cabin. Uh, anything else coming out? I'm watching a movie called The Civil Dead, which is supposed to come out uh, nationwide. Whether it does or not, I won't. I don't know until next week, I guess. Uh, and the movie uh, that I mentioned earlier, uh, no, no, that one's not coming out yet. Um, I, yeah, that's all I have. All right, the classic. Did I make a decision yet? I don't remember. No, you haven't, or uh, at least you haven't told us yet. Let's do. Semi tough looks pretty bad, so let's do that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, at least it's on freebie. I mean, Michael Ritchie is an interesting director. We did the candidate on this show, and uh, in the future, I do want to do Downhill Racer. Uh, he's done a lot of different, very, very different, very distinctive films. So, 
I mean, when it, you suggested this, oh, go ahead, Bob. No, go ahead. When you suggested this, I looked it up and it has, seems like it has one thing at least going for it for me that it has a love interest who is within 10 years of the male stars. <laughs> so that's one thing going that is for a, it. She's that is not a rarity. 19. Yeah. I just thought Chris Christopherson and Burt Reynolds was, I mean, obviously Burt Reynolds is the longest yard, but it just looked silly. Maybe it's not. It's not that long. Uh, and then 1993, we got Homeward Bound, The Cemetery Club, Loaded Weapon 1, Summer's Bee, and The Vanishing. Do you know what you're doing for the podcast, Sean? We were we were debating between Summer's Bee and Loaded Weapon. We've not decided yet. We're going to decide at the last minute. Probably... Uh, probably leading towards loaded weapon just to see if it if it's uh, you know if it's problematic or if it if it's uh, like maybe a hidden gem. Uh, nobody talks about loaded weapon anymore, uh, and I'm wondering if it's because it's just probably desperately out of date and offensive. Uh, but uh, we'll maybe. I think it's just because it's not as good as Hot Shots. Perhaps <laughs> is Summer's uh, be the Jodie Foster. Plays a Jody Foster Richard Gear movie. Oh, okay. No, I, I actually, I actually on the show on the on the, on the new show that'll be going up this week. I guessed the premise of this movie just almost by accident. <laughs> just vague, the vaguest memory I had. I just pulled it up. Like Richard Gear was in the Civil War and he was thought to be dead, and then he came back. And then we looked it up, and I was right. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. All right. Uh, we also have a Patreon coming out. Uh, Jeff and Sean did a Friday the 13th uh, commentary track that we thought we lost, but we found. So it'll be up soon uh, on our Patreon. I, I'm not a, even if we lost it, I'm not averse to going back and doing it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> every Friday the 13th, we'll do a new one. <laughs> every We're going to do every Friday the 13th movie, Jeff. <clears throat> I think, you know what? I'm fine with that. Nice. And if we do Friday the 13th part two, I'm going to see if I can, I'm kind of uh, acquaintances with a couple of the cast members from there. So see if I can get some thoughts. Nice. That'll be fun. All right. Quickly before we go to bed, duck soup or death becomes her. Duck soup. Death, death becomes her. Duck soup for me. Milk, Batman, and Robin. Milk. Milk. Agreed. Nightmare on Elm Street, the dream child being John Malkovich. <laughs> being John Malkovich. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street 5, because I know what Bob's going to pick. <laughs> being John My Malkovich. My pick won't matter. <laughs> Halloween H2O, Anchorman, the legend of Ron Burgundy. Once we H2O. finish uh, Friday the 13th, Jeff, we'll do Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. Uh, let's see. Anchorman for me. You said H2O, Jeff? Yeah. Duh. Anchorman for me. Does a pimp carry a razor? <laughs> <laughs> the Muppets. Revenge of the Nerds. The Muppets. Yeah, sure. Agreed. I don't particularly care about either one of them. Old Boy, Hollow Man. Old Boy over Kevin Bacon's dick. Do you see it in Hollow Man? Yeah. Very yeah. briefly. Oh, I'm going to go Hollow Man. That was during the period where he was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just showing my dick and everything. <laughs> I just thought he did it one time. I didn't realize he did no. it a lot. Oh, no. It's it's out there. <clears throat> I 
I just remember wild things. <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop 3, Exit Through the Gift Shop. Exit Through the Exit Gift Shop. Exit Through the Gift Shop. Such an amazing movie. Yeah. John Carter, The Bank Job. The Bank Job. John Carter. I have not seen either one of them. <laughs> so it is a coin flip. And we can switch them. No, we're fine. I don't care about either one of them. The bank job won the coin flip. Bad Boys, Conan the Destroyer. That's tough. Um, 1983 Bad that's Boys. Bad Boys oh, with, I've never uh, seen 19, I've never seen the 1983 Bad Boys. That's the one with Sean Penn and Isai Morales, isn't it? Oh. Very well could be, but I have no idea. Uh, I would pick that one. All right, you pick that one. Each shows for us. <laughs> <laughs> Bandits, Forrest Gump. Bandits. <laughs> Everybody hates us right now. Blast Everybody us. hate. We're the only podcast that hates <laughs> Forrest Gump. <laughs> and Jeff, thank you for carrying on the tradition. <laughs> I just, I. Sally Field is the only part of the movie I like. And she's mm. not even that great in it. Yeah. Blast of Silence, Flight Plan. Never heard of Blast of Silence. Sounds cool, though. Nice uh, nice title. Hot Shots, Flight Plan. Hot Shots. Flight Plan. Jodie Foster for the win. Hot Shots for me. Joe Dirt, Superman. 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 Happy 93rd birthday, Gene Hackman. Wow, he's that old. Run, Lola, Run, The Killing Fields. Run, Lola, Run. Yeah, I haven't seen The Killing Fields, but I did like <clears throat> Run, Lola, Run. Agreed. Judge Dread, The Others. The Others. Yeah. Silly, I'm your daughter. <laughs> Rocky Balboa, Ghost Ship. Uh, I'm going to pick Ghost Ship because it has the best fucking opening scene of any horror movie. Yeah, I'm, I don't I'm, care about I'm with... I'm with you on, on that. I just uh, Rocky Balboa just didn't do anything for me. Go back and read your review. <laughs> oh yeah, did I like it or not? You did like. it. I don't it. remember now. Oh, I did. Oh, I can't okay. even remember. We wanted, I agree. I get it mixed Go up. Sh- I get it mixed up with that and and the other Rocky movie that he did either before or after that. I get those two mixed up. Gotcha. Uh, the Ghost Ship though does have an awesome beginning. The Milky Way, Twilight Saga, New Moon. Never heard of the Milky Way. Resident Evil New Moon. Good God. I, I mean, that's, that's the, I mean, wow. Uh, fishing fishing with Gandhi. With Gandhi. <laughs> Is that how we end the show? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll Classic s- throwback. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to you guys hopefully next week. Sounds good. All see right, you later. See ya.